throughout the day. Highs in the 60s. Thursday night, mostly clear. Lows into the 40s. Friday is going to be sunny throughout the day. Highs in the 60s with mostly cloudy nights. Lows into the 40s. Saturday, Sunday, cloudy for both days. Highs in the 60s. Mostly cloudy for Saturday night. Lows in the 40s. Sunday night, looking at a chance of rain. Lows into the 40s as well. Monday and Tuesday, it looks like it's going to be overcast as well. Some chance of rain, but it doesn't look like it's going to be too heavy. For you boaters, small craft advisory in effect from Thursday afternoon through Friday morning. And with that said, my first show with you guys this evening is with Aaron Cloudon and Healing Journeys. I hope you enjoy the show. Opinions expressed in the following sponsored program are not necessarily those of KSCO Radio, its staff, management, or advertisers. If something is said with which you disagree, please call us during the program in order to help us balance comments. Okay. Uh, hello. I am Aaron Cloudon. I am your host for Healing Journeys. And tonight I have jo Joanna Zakaria. And I just said it wrong, huh? Zakaria. <laughs> Close enough. Joanna yes. Zakaria. And I went over this a bunch of times. It's ridiculous. She's a music therapist. Her website is coastalmt.com. That's coastalmt.com. And her phone number is 513-454-7274. So if you're looking for a music therapist, that's the one you want to get a hold of. So first and foremost, we're going to start out with, hello, Joanna. Um, so... What is a music therapist, and what inspired you to become one? Sure. Hello. Thanks for having me. Good yeah. to be here. Um, so, a music therapist. Mm -hmm. I'll start off. I'll give you the the somewhat dry answer I tend to give most people. Oh, we um, want the exciting, <laughs> glamorous answer. Give us the exciting, glamour. So, the most important part to understand about a music therapist is that there's someone that's trained. So we're taking music and we're addressing non-musical goals. And that can look like a lot of different things depending on where you're working. So if I were working in a hospital, for instance, like I have before, um, I might be working, say, this is one cool thing that had happened before, actually. Um, I was on the NICU with a really, really little baby, I think like two months old, and he was super stressed out, and we were trying to get him to fall asleep. And I was playing my guitar, and we were playing really slow, soothing, kind of just melodic like patterns over and over. And you can see his heart rate on the monitor go down and down oh, and cool. down until he just falls asleep. And it's like the most rewarding thing ever. You're like, oh, yes, mission accomplished. Like, it's so cool. Um, and then for other folks, um, we may be working on regaining language skills or learning to read or write or count money or um, learn coping skills or handle our emotions or stressors a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So the cool part about music therapy is that it's super individualized. So whoever you are, I'm going to look at that and whatever your goals are, we'll, we'll look at that together. And we'll create some strategies using music to make your goals a reality. And is that music played by you, or is it already pre-recorded, or do you teach them how to music, or all of the above? All of the above, yes. It kind of depends, again, on what your goals are. Okay. Um, so for some people, um, for instance, I have a kiddo I used to work with, um, and I've done a few um, exercise and movement groups where I'll use specific sorts of music to listen elicit certain movements um, or get people to move in a certain way and interact with each other in a certain way. You can kind of pick the right kind of recorded music to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then if, if you're playing music, there's certain things within the structure of it 
that help you to get certain responses to help these people meet their goals. Um, so music itself, what everyone always says when you're going through school for this, is that music is the organizer and the energizer. Because music itself has a structure, right? You have uh -huh. time signatures, you have keys, you have a distinct beginning and an end. Um, you may have different sorts of like modulations and key changes as you go through and things like that. But the music itself has a set structure. So people will respond to that and they need that sort of organization to be able to organize their own brains. Because what's cool about music is that it doesn't just work on one side of our brains mm -hmm. where language or something like that does. Music connects both sides of our brains and that's what makes it such a powerful tool, especially when you're learning to relate, uh, regain language or something like that. Um, your whole brain's working together for the first time when you're involved in music therapy. So that can help make it more effective as opposed to doing just speech therapy or just physical therapy. If we're doing them together, we can reach our goals faster. Interesting. So it's making the whole brain fire. So I guess my curiosity becomes, do you have to avoid certain music in regards to if say somebody's anxious or things like that because I know there's times where if I'm sad or down listening to sad songs just making the thing worse for sure <laughs> you know yeah like, no for sure there's this thing it's called the ISO principle okay and all that essentially means is that you're meeting the person where they're at so if I've got a kid that comes in and he's flying off the walls hyper and I had a slow, soft song planned at first, mm -hmm. that's not going to work. <laughs> I need to change things. I need to meet his energy. And then once you have that buy-in, it's all about gaining the trust and the buy-in. So once you have that, mm -hmm. then you can start to slow things down or move things in different directions. But you ultimately have to have to meet them where they're at first. Otherwise, you're not even going to get their attention. So do you have to go through a bunch of talk therapy to get there first? Or? No, not necessarily. Um, it, and that's especially true with... I've worked with a lot of kids, a lot of kids on the spectrum specifically. Okay. Um, you just kind of have to change the style of music you're playing. Um, and that's something we learn throughout our education. You learn pretty much every single instrument and every single style of playing. Like, you have your primary instrument you get into school on, but then once you get start school, like, you, you hit the ground running. I actually got tendonitis my first year of school. We had to learn Whoa. so many instruments. Yeah, it was wild. So wait a minute, how many instruments yeah. do you play? <laughs> I was not expecting you no. to be Prince over there. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm most proficient. Flute is my main thing. That's what I got into school on. That's what I've been playing forever. Okay. Since like third grade, I've been playing the flute. Uh-huh. Um, and then your first year and throughout the years in school, you keep doing your primary instrument. You do voice, keyboard, percussion, guitar. Those are all the main things. And then you have other classes where you kind of dabble with everything else, like sight singing, um, sight reading, um, violin, brass instruments, woodwind instruments. You, you do like a week with everything. Yeah. Um, one at a time you kind of go through them just so you can be familiar with everything. Because, um, again, everyone has unique needs, and mm -hmm. you want to be able to be educated enough and knowledgeable enough to meet those unique needs of your client. Got it. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I wasn't it's expecting a lot. you to have the, like... <laughs> Yeah, no, and then you learn all the styles. You learn music history um, all the way from, like, ancient times. There were, like, Gregorian chants we had to memorize and know the names of. And um, you learn about blues, um, jazz, so, like, a, a little bit of everything, really. This is way off topic. But do you get some sort of, like, jazz or blues snob at a party or anything? wanting to kind of mansplain some music to you and you got to 
check of a vote in place. This I, is so off topic. You know, that'd be really funny if that ever happened. It hasn't yet. It hasn't come up. That would be that would be really funny. I, I, um, everyone Sorry, I always know. Everyone always heckles me because I hate performing. I don't play music for other people. I, I do, and I'm competent as a music therapist, and I play my flute for myself when I need to relax or, or my guitar or my keyboard mm -hmm. when I need to relax or have a moment for myself. Mm -hmm. But I have never, ever enjoyed performing. I don't like it. It's not my thing. Huh. Whereas other music therapists definitely do. I have a really awesome coworker. Or a colleague, not a coworker. Sorry, a colleague from um, New York. He performs all the time. He's great. He's awesome, um, and that's what he loves to do. But for me, that's so never been my thing. So I don't tend to talk about it <laughs> too too much because that's usually where people's minds go at first. Like, oh well, you must love to like go play shows and stuff right, and right. be out and about. And I do love live music, but. Right mostly to watch okay have you ever had i'm sure you must have had friends ask you to join a band or anything ever i've done a little here and there i've mm -hmm. played flute with some friends for a couple mm -hmm. of songs they've been up on stage with them i've recorded with them um and you know it's kind of just like this i was telling you coming in that i was like so nervous i get myself so worked <laughs> up before i do things like this and performing right. is the same way but right. once i get on stage i'm fine everything's right. fine mm -hmm. um but yeah it's just really never been it's never been my thing that's not what makes me feel great um is performing you know i can never like just come up with a, a song off the top of my head mm -hmm. and go out to a bar and play in an open mic night or something like that. Mm -hmm. But hey, maybe that'd be like a really great place to push myself towards or something. Right. Step out of my comfort zone your, one day, you know, like that's the, the future Joanna is a <laughs> performer secretly. <laughs> <laughs> Put on a wig and some glasses. No one will know it's yes. you. <laughs> Put a different stage name up there. Yeah, exactly. Just in case it's bad. <laughs> okay, so now that brings a question again. So I wasn't expecting this. Songwriting. Is songwriting part of music therapy? It is. It's a huge part of music therapy, and it's something I actually really enjoy doing with my clients. So... Um, but one not of the personally, yes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Moving actually, on to me to get you off. No, um, it's fine. This actually hops in to um my prison job. Um, yes. When I worked there, go. yeah. Here we go. It jumps right in, right? Awesome. So I worked when I first moved to California. I'm from New York. Mm -hmm. When I first moved out, I worked at Salinas Valley State Prison. Okay. And I had the opportunity. The I did groups there. That was my main thing. And the okay. way the groups worked is you had to have them all planned out. It was um, 12 weeks, and then we would have two weeks of break. So I would have to have a whole 12 weeks of group planned out ahead of time, and I would spend days working on these plans. Um, and one of the groups I ended up having was called Poetry in Motion because I had tons of guys that loved poetry and that were writing. Aww. So I was like, okay, well, let's do something with this. This is great. Yeah. They're creative. They're inspired. Like, let's take this a step further. Um, I was also super fortunate that I had management that were music therapists. So it was easier for me to get the equipment that I needed. Mm -hmm. So luckily, I got a music production software called Fruity Loops, and I was able to cast it up onto the screen and from my laptop, and it, we all worked together to take these poems and these songs that these guys were writing and to put beats to them. That's so and cool. it was so cool. Some of these guys hadn't even touched a computer. They had no idea. It'd been 20 years. Yeah. They didn't know how to work a mouse. They didn't know how to work a laptop. And here they were doing it all themselves, making a beat on a computer. Like, That's it was so cool. So cool. That was probably one of the most rewarding parts of that job was to watch them learn that. Because I'm all about learning practical skills. Like, you might not be getting out. You might be a lifer. Mm -hmm. But even if you do, you still, if you do get out, like, I wanted them to have something practical that they could go off of. I wanted them to know about 
the world as it was, and they need to know how to use a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, really cool to watch them learn all that. Was there any anxiousness on your part? I mean, you're not exactly the biggest girl. <laughs> you're rather petite and small. And I'm thinking of you in a prison with, uh, I'm going to imagine there was a fair amount of violent criminals where you were at. And were the, you're just... Yeah, I was in a level were you four... worried ever? I was in level four max security. There were times... Jeez. I never had a problem in any of my groups. I'll say that. Great. They respected me. We, I had a way of interacting with these guys that we just, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't about them being a prisoner. It was about them working on their mental health and finding a way to survive in prison mm-hmm. and dealing with whatever it was they were dealing with. You know, just because mm-hmm. they were there doesn't necessarily mean that they were terrible people. Yeah. Um, and no, I, I never had a problem. There were a few times where I definitely got nervous, but mm-hmm. groups wouldn't happen unless we had at least two guards on hand. Mm-hmm. Um and luckily for me, I was in, um, we had four different units for mental health. So there was TC1 and 2, Treatment Center 1 and 2. And those were standalone buildings. So I didn't have to worry about the tiers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit safer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other yards that I wasn't on as much, those had the tiers. C5 and 6 were our other yards. And those had the tiers. Those were a little bit more like what you would imagine in a typical prison setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely dealt with a lot more nonsense in those settings just because there's so many other people around that aren't necessarily going to group. You don't have to go to group. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would get distracting, like just people in their cell doors doing random nonsensical things, trying to distract you and being mm-hmm. really inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I never, ever had a problem. I, I was never, I was always excited to, to see my guys and they were always excited to come right. to group. And that's probably my biggest accomplishment there is that I, feel like for both of us we got a lot of hope out of the situation and that was really cool we even put on a concert really but yeah. you didn't perform huh oh no i did i performed with them wait what so you performed in prison and I that's did. it yes <laughs> i did i forgot all about that <laughs> what the heck's going um, on here i'm so confused yeah we had um so i had the guys they showed their their beats those guys showed off their beats um and we also had a guitar group so we played, um, we, the guys performed the songs we were working on for their guitar group. Awesome. I did a duet with one guy. He played guitar. Oh, I played cool. my flute. Nice. Um, we had a drumming group. The drumming group performed as well. Um, we had a couple guys just do some solo things on guitar. Um, and it was really cool. Everyone came. All the other prisoners got to come, too. We had it in the dining hall. Awesome. Um, administration came. Everyone came. And then we got to have, like, cake afterwards and everything, too. It was such a beautiful day. Like, they made the, the my guys, they made the flyers for it and everything. They awesome. were so excited and so invested in it. And... They were nervous just like me to perform. Yeah. They had never done it before either. So I think the fact that they, we were all in this together really made a difference. You brought joy to like a dark place. Yeah, That's it was super cool. It, yeah, that job is definitely one of the highlights of my professional career. I had a, a really good time there. That's so cool. And so these guys have had usually, even though they've committed a crimes you met them as human beings they have their own traumas throughout their lives almost all of them before becoming prisoners does that kind of come out oh yeah there were some guys that like they never even had a shot they grew up with their dads learning how to rob houses and that's how they made their living like you can't really fault them for that that's all they've known and right. that's what you come to learn with a lot of these <clears throat> folks is that they've never they never had a chance to learn how to live life any differently. All they've ever known mm-hmm. is is crime, and that's not necessarily their fault. But mm-hmm. now the fact that they're here in this setting and they're trying to take advantage of opportunities to make themselves better people, mm-hmm. hey, let's do it. Like, I'm right. all for that. Like, come on over. Let's learn some skills. Let's do some stuff. <laughs> 
Yeah, so with the music therapy, because I remember we had talked briefly before the show about the prison yoga project, he was talking about, yes, they'd been through this trauma uh, throughout most of their lives mm -hmm. and very little options in regards to livelihoods, but also coming to a point of accepting or taking responsibility for what they had done. And I was curious if you had had experienced any of sort of that type of thing as well yeah that's um one of the groups i had that was a large part of what we chatted about actually is kind of mm. coming to terms with whatever their sentences were and potentially having to live a life in prison and making that a meaningful life still mm -hmm. that was really hard because for for some guys they they couldn't identify that they they mm -hmm. for i remember one guy very specifically he was an older man He'd been in for a while, and he was going to be in for life. And he would always say, you know, man, my mom is all I've got. The second my mom dies, that's it for me. Um, so I was always trying to find different ways for him to find meaning in life other than his mom. Mm -hmm. um, we had a whole group I did... Um, Oh, what was it called? I forget what it was called, but um, I reached out to TED, TED Talks, mm -hmm. um, and they were able to give me a selection of specifically curated talks just for the prison and jail setting. Mm -hmm. So the guys would come in, we'd all watch a TED Talk, and then I'd have all, of, um, we'd have a, a chat about it, mm -hmm. and then I would have all of these homework questions that were more reflective than mm -hmm. anything else, and then then. Uh, the next week they'd come in, we'd chat about it. They weren't allowed to come to group if they didn't do their homework, if they didn't have their journal with them. They had to go back. Um, so it was also kind of a, one of the first places that they were being held accountable for their growth as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing that made it really effective is that someone genuinely cared about their growth as human beings and they don't really get that from day to day like there's there's people there that they build relationships with but mm -hmm. um i really genuinely cared about these guys and we did a lot of good work together how long did you do this for two years i was there so was it basically the same 12-week program done repeatedly, or did you create new programs, or did guys advance? How I was, did it go? I was constantly changing things up. Uh -huh. um, but there were a few groups that people really came to love that I would do over and over again. So I kept the guitar group. I kept the TED Talk group. Mm -hmm. um, I also had an exercise group that I would do. Um, I did. <laughs> I Back home in New York, I did um, CrossFit and Muay Thai a lot. Okay. And I loved it. And these guys, they love working out. So I was like, all right, let's see what you got. Let's see if you can keep up. Right. Um, so every week I would bring in a different like super intense CrossFit style workout but they loved it because um, I got to use their music with it too so we listened to a lot of hip-hop a lot of like Bay Area rappers and things like that and a lot of the guards didn't care that there was some foul language in a lot of these songs mm. uh, <laughs> So that one, that one was always a hit. They loved the workout, the new workouts from week to week, and it was always a fun competition to see who could win the workout. That was a good one. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. But again, it was the music that was, so it would seem that it, the music doesn't have mm -hmm. so much a role in that. But if it wasn't for the music, they wouldn't even want to be there. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to, this this whole music thing made me, remind me of something. And I'm wondering if you experienced this at all with the music. As a teenager, I went through rehab. And one of the people in rehab couldn't listen to, I think it was Hotel California by, by the Eagles. Because it reminded them so much of just being in the depths of their addiction of like just drugs and alcohol and stuff and they were like I, I just don't it just reminds me of the weird and I'm wondering if you experienced that when working with these folks of like this song came up and it just reminds me of some hardcore times yeah there's definitely a place where music therapy can be harmful if you're not properly trained to talk about those things too okay. so yes we do a lot of 
music. Music is the, the main, mm-hmm. um, like, carrier for, for mm-hmm. goals. That's what we're focused on. But we also, me specifically, I've always been involved in mental health. Mm-hmm. So I've also gotten trained in talk therapy and able to to talk these things through when we do songwriting when we do lyric analysis that's another thing that comes up a lot we'll listen to a song we'll look at the lyrics and we'll Mm -hmm. analyze them and um talk about all of these things that come up like it would in hotel california Mm. um so it's okay to have those things come up but if you're not confident or trained in how to deal with the things that are going to come up from using that song, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't even go there. Because you're just going to do more harm than good, and that's not ethically okay. Well, what sort of triggers come up? Um, It depends on the person. Uh Um, For some people, it can be certain sounds. Um, Drumming can be really loud and overwhelming for a lot of people, especially Mm -hmm. in an inpatient psych setting. Okay. Um, I had worked in a couple of inpatient hospitals as well, and drumming, if not done correctly, can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for some people, like you mentioned, they have certain songs they can't really listen to, and Mm -hmm. that's okay. You just don't go there. Right. Um, For some people, there's certain frequencies that are really difficult for them, especially those with auditory processing disorders. Um, They hear things differently than someone without a processing disorder mm-hmm. would. Um, so to them, it, songs might sound like a dog whistle, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't sound the same as it would. Um, so you, you definitely have to be careful. And there's little things you look out for um, in terms of body language, maybe like a clenched jaw, a clenched fist, they start to get tense, or mm-hmm. maybe their, um, their gaze starts to wander, or they're not making eye contact. It's all of these little things that you end up looking out for. Maybe their heart rate increases, their breathing gets faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can tell, and in the moment, you can make those changes, and that's what's really cool about music therapy is that you're responding in the moment to everything that's happening. So I might have a plan. I might have these great ideas that I'm going to do with someone, but then Mm -hmm. we get into the room and they come in a completely different way than what I'd planned for, and we scrap the whole thing and just go with how they're feeling in the moment. All right, so you just got to improv and and rock with it, huh? So to speak. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's funny you bring that up, because then I'm thinking about what it would be like to work with people who are elderly with dementia as well as people with autism. Have you experienced that and what you do in those situations? Yeah, that's actually a lot of, in my private practice, that's a lot of the folks I work with their um, children with autism. And that's what mm-hmm. I've done um, a lot back home as well. That's a very popular population for services. Mm-hmm. And the elderly are too. Unfortunately, I don't have as much experience there. It's not as something I can as easily connect with. It's not really the right population for me. Okay. Um, but the principles are all the same. Um Actually, dementia and Alzheimer's care, memory care is really cool with music therapy because for those folks, you're tending to utilize music that is from their like late teen to early 20s years. That's what's most memorable for them. So there have been instances with um, colleagues that I've had where Mm -hmm. they'll play music for these folks and people just start bawling or they'll want to get up and start dancing. It's such a profound emotional experience for someone who from day to day generally is having a difficult time remembering and getting around and taking care of themselves. Um, So to see them have such a strong reaction and memory is really, really cool. That's super cool. Have you heard of any stories with the elderly with dementia or anything like being able to go play the piano again because that's something they did when they were younger? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that happens a lot, actually. It's super cool. Yep. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of, it's like riding a bike, kind of. That's that's what I was saying was such a cool part about music because it's connecting your whole brain. So whatever is left there in that deep layer that you've got buried down beneath, it's not gone. And it just takes the right person and the right method to be able to kind of dig that out and help you find your passion again. 
Yeah. And so with autism, I'm super curious about that one because I know there can be a lot of sensory overload. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as to how you approach that. It, d it depends on the person. Um, but uh, let me try to give you an example here. Yeah. Um, there's one kid that I work with that he, um, the very first time I was with him, um, we were in a larger room mm -hmm. and he loved to just run and run and run around and he, he didn't like to touch things with his hands. That was hard for him sensory wise, mm -hmm. feeling the vibrations. But then throughout the session, um, I had some electronic things with me as well, that little handheld devices you could play. It was mm -hmm. like a little circle. It's called an Orba. And you can make beats on it. It's a loop machine. And he loved that. He would like hold it right up to his head to try to feel the vibrations of it. And the same thing usually goes for guitar as well. The vibrations of it, there's something about the frequency of it that's actually somewhat soothing for for kids with autism but at the same time you do have to be careful because like you were saying it can be overwhelming that same baby that i was singing to sleep mm -hmm. could have easily been really put off by the music my supervisor could have had to step in and play something different instead mm -hmm. you know if it's not the right key if it's not the right tempo uh those are all things you have to look out for do you have an awareness before you meet your clients, like where they're at on the autism spectrum in regards to being able to kind of plan for it? I always try to. Yeah, I have um, an, an initial intake um, that I have the parents fill out and I try mm -hmm. to get that before a session just so I know a little bit so I can prep mm -hmm. a little bit better and have a more successful session because mm -hmm. then I can have more specific things planned that the kid will hopefully enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um like I just did last week, I had all Halloween stuff, and we did stuff with the five little pumpkins and room on the broom and things like that. Oh, cute. Um, so there's different thematic things you can do to make things fun and whatnot, too. Um, but I always definitely try to get an idea of what I'm walking into beforehand. Um, but the same way with the prisoners as it is with the kids is that you'd, you'd kind of try to look beyond the diagnosis, you know? It can be... A very limiting sort of hat that people have to wear so I understand the fact that there's different methods we have to take to be successful and to interact but I'm ultimately just trying to get to know that person and how I can best help them um, and that's I think what makes me a, a little different is that it's not so much about meeting the goals right away for me. It's mm -hmm. about getting to know the person. Um, and I always feel like that's where you should start. Yeah, I think that's a great idea because you're not limited to what the preconceived notion or what the preconceived diagnosis is that you're really willing to explore you know, what's going on with what you bring to the table. Right, exactly. And there's so much more to them than their diagnosis. And these kids, whether they can verbally say it or not, have mm. a lot to bring to the table. So through all these different improvisational methods and having them explore instruments and get excited about music, you can really learn a lot about them and about yourself, <laughs> um, just the, in the ways you have to interact teaches you a lot about slowing down and being in the moment being present that's super cool so you're learning a lot of mindfulness and patience and stuff right oh yeah for sure which is funny because for adults that's something i actually teach that was one of the groups in the prison as well was a mindfulness group oh you teach mindfulness too uh, i have <laughs> i have Holy i don't crap. currently what don't but you i do? have <laughs> You're only um, 29. How have you yeah, done all this stuff? Know, right? What the heck's going on? Yeah, no. And my <laughs> internship, I got super lucky. Um, the way things were organized was from a DBT perspective, dialectic behavior therapy. What does that mean? It's. Have you heard of cognitive behavior therapy before yes. CBT? Dialectic is just like that. It's just a somewhat different skill set and that's actually where mindfulness comes into play a lot it's one of the main skills in dbt it was invented by this lady named marshall linehan mm -hmm. she's 
awesome. Uh, <laughs> she's a powerhouse of a woman. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was specifically for folks that were a little bit more difficult to reach in terms of mental health. It was for um, borderline personality. Okay. Um, which can be difficult to treat. Um, so it's all about developing this awareness of, of yourself and your patterns so that you can learn skills to improve upon those things. And okay. music's a really great vehicle for that um, because it kind of takes you out of yourself. Like, you're still getting this awareness, but the, the music's making it happen. So it's a little bit of an easier blow than someone just telling you, hey, you know, I noticed this, this, and this about you. You should oh, probably yeah. do something about that. <laughs> yeah, I get plenty of that. I do that to myself all the time. Right. <laughs> I don't need any more. <laughs> oh, so super cool. Wait a second. So that's super cool. So the music makes it easier to digest. Yes, very much so. So then becomes my question, how does the music help to kind of I don't want to say, I don't know how to articulate it properly, but like alleviate the problem or change the behavior. How, do, how, how can you use it to help change the behavior, I guess, is where I'm really going with that. Yeah, and that comes over time, and that has to do more with the structure of the music itself, with the chord progressions, with the keys we're playing in, and about the talk therapy that's hopefully coming after the intervention that we're doing too. Um, so one thing that I did a lot both at my internship which was in an inpatient psych hospital and at the prison um, we had these mindful moments where we would do a brief little meditation with some music usually a guided one I don't like to do just open-ended ones with right. like me not narrating in some sort of way you can lose right. a lot of people that way especially in an inpatient setting they've already got enough going on in their heads they don't need to be left to their own devices um so we would do that and then afterwards you'd kind of debrief it's like a crisis situation something happens everyone responds you have this really strong reaction and then afterwards you have to debrief so you're learning what went right, what went wrong, what felt good, what didn't feel good. Um, and you're talking through that. And then the next time you go through, you're keeping that in mind. Have you dealt with people with, uh, who have experienced crisis such as PTSD and that sort of have you done, have you worked with veterans? You know, I haven't, um, not in a specific like VA sort of setting. I right. have had some veterans for sure. Um, I've had PTSD, I've had tra uh, trauma clients, lots of trauma, lots of homelessness, um, and lots of schizophrenia. That's been one of the main diagnoses that I've worked with. Schizophrenia and bipolar are the two most popular ones that I've worked with over the years. Explain further. <laughs> um, okay, this is one of my favorite stories. So. Oh, boy. There's this one younger gentleman that I was working with at my internship, um, and he'd been in the hospital for, for a little while. He had his first break and had discovered he'd been he was getting diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he was trying to find the right medications, but that point hadn't come quite yet, and I was getting people ready to group for group. I was telling him to come on over, you know, and he was sitting in the dining room, like, so completely in the zone. And he was playing with these popsicles, and he was making a mess. And I was like, hey, you know, come on over. It's time for group. And this is someone that always came to group. And he looked at me with the most serious face ever, dead in the eyes, and goes, I can't come. I'm practicing for the Catalina wine mixer. And just went back on playing with those popsicle sticks and didn't come to group. And then I saw him a few months later because I did both the inpatient and the outpatient program there. I was at the outpatient program once a week. Mm -hmm. And he had since graduated onto that. And I ended up having a whole normal conversation with him. He was out playing basketball with his friends. Life was good. He was about to get a job and go to school. He was completely clear-headed and out enjoying his life 
and that was so so cool to see so wait a minute what happened between there exactly and there? yeah <laughs> so the groups that we would be involved in all had to do so every day there at the at the inpatient hospital for my internship it was up at uh, UCSF mm-hmm. um, there every day of the week was a different theme associated with a different DBT skill um, so you had mindfulness and other things like that, different skills that you would learn. So by actually coming and participating in the groups like he did so valiantly every single day, mm-hmm. um, he was able to really learn a lot about himself and the things he needed to do to keep himself healthy and in line with those goals that he had for himself. And that's a lot that comes up um in my job now too it's just getting people to realize that these are the goals you have and these are the choices that we have available to be able to reach those goals so what how do we get from a to b and a lot Mm -hmm. of the times the music can help be a good vehicle for bringing that clarity Interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm still, I'm still trying to kind of. Grab. It's a, it's hard to wrap your head around. Right. If you, it, it's one of those <clears throat> things that a lot of people kind of like need to see, but you can't because it's all confidential. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> that makes it easier. <laughs> I'd show you, but I thought I'd have to kill you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, no, we do a lot of what you were talking about, though. Songwriting was a huge one. Okay. Um, movement to music was a big one that I liked to do a lot, too. Okay. Um, because through the movements and the music, you're continuing to organize your brain better. So the more you're involved in those things, when you come into the inpatient hospital, your brain is so disorganized. You can't discern... And now from then, some people don't even know who their name, what their names are, who they are. It can be really, really scary experience. You're seeing these people on the worst days of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have these things that provide structure and organization and motivation like music does, um, a lot of people joke that, oh, the, the fun music lady's here, you know, <laughs> which I hate, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Are you not the fun music lady? Uh, yes, but when you say it like that, it kind of takes some of the validity away. Um, but Are we minimizing what you do yes. when we say you're the fun music lady? The very serious music lady yes, is here. Yes, yes. No, no fun allowed at all. It's going to be very melancholy. Very. Mm. There'll be no laughing and smiling with the music lady. <laughs> Take her serious, damn it. <laughs> that actually, sorry, I'm going to completely sidetrack now, though. That brings me to a whole other story as to why that's relevant. No, Let great. me finish this story quick. <laughs> sure, so that's sure. what the music does. Take it provides the You're structure. The best. <laughs> the, so the music gives you the structure, the organization, the motivation to be able to take your mush of a brain and make it whole again. Right. So, that, and does dance help? Are you it telling so me? So does. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Dance movement therapy. So I've been therapy. helping my brain a lot lately. You so have. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The more you move, the better, and that's great for depression and things like that too. Because when you're depressed, all you want to do is lay around all day. Mm-hmm. You don't want to take care of yourself. So by doing that opposite action and getting up and actually doing something, you're you're literally rewiring your brain. Okay. You're you're building these new connections, these new healthy connections that your brain didn't have before. That's the plasticity of our brain is that we can remake bad connections into new ones. And that's what the music's helping us to do through its structure, through its organization, and through things like tempo and key and things like that. That gives us the motivation to move and get up and do something meaningful. That's super cool. That's super cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I got into it to begin with, actually. Oh, I never even told you that story either. No, lay it on me. (laughs) So many stories. Um, The fun music lady's going to share another story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I actually got really lucky getting into things. um, When I was younger, I wanted to be, I watched CSI all the time, and I wanted to be a forensic pathologist. What the hell? Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> right. Well, that so, sounds like a lot of fun. It's right. So, 
I was super into that, but then when I got, I was a, a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. and I had a friend that was a senior who was looking into music therapy, mm-hmm. and I had never heard of that before. Um, I had always known music education, obviously. I'd done mm-hmm. music all this time, but I knew that I didn't want to be a music teacher. I knew that, like, hands down, not for me. Mm-hmm. Um so he had shown me this, and I reached out to a couple local music therapists and got to shadow. And all throughout high school, I got to shadow, and they um, ended up giving me opportunities where I could, like, jump in and lead groups and kind of have a more hands-on mm-hmm. learning experience with all of this. So I really knew that's what I wanted to do because I got to actually experience it, and I had so many great people along the way showing me the ropes. It was really awesome. I super lucked out finding the right job for me. Yeah. At a young age? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. I, I got very, I'm 49. Very I still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, like, still bouncing around. That's super cool. So you went from forensic pathologist to music therapist in the matter of your junior year in like high school, a basically. Year? Yeah, pretty much. But that's the cool part is that I can still be involved in forensics. I can... Yeah. Um, Music therapy is really everywhere. It's in nursing homes, hospitals, private practice, prisons. It's everywhere, so it can... Wait, you say that, but how many, like, music therapists are there here in Santa Cruz County or in Santa Cruz? Yeah, exactly. It kind of depends on where you are. Here in Mm -hmm. Santa Cruz, I only know of two other ones, and we all do different settings. Um, I do psych and children. There's another woman that um, works with... Um, doulas and then there's another woman that works in hospice um, that I've heard from so far there's another woman down in Monterey County that does like school school age type stuff uh-huh. um, so it's kind of nice that we all have our niche here and are right. able to do our own thing because back on the east coast I so wouldn't be able to do that it's a bit more of a saturated market Okay, and you also Um, a lot of the places there, you need to have your master's in creative arts therapy, which I have my master's, but not in that. It wasn't something I wanted to continue pursuing. So there's all these different loopholes and there's, there's different places that practice different things. Like if I were to go to Colorado, they specialize in neurological music therapy, which is a very regimented procedure that helps people recovering, um, from like physical injuries and strokes and things like that. I was going to ask about brain injuries. Yeah, so neurological music therapy is what helps those folks a lot. Um, And that's a a specialized method you could learn. There's another one. It's called the Bonnie method of guided imagery. That's another specialized training you can do. Mm -hmm. So there's all these different methods that you can choose to specialize in. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a matter of what you're really interested in. That's so cool. Didn't you say you're working with the homeless population here in Santa Cruz? I am, yes. Yep, yes, I am. (laughs) Would you like to expand on that? Sure, yeah. No, it's actually a really cool opportunity. It was me and two other guys. Now it's just me and one other guy. The project's winding down a little bit. Um, But it's with folks in... um, There's certain folks, homeless folks, that have had the opportunity to go into hotel all throughout COVID. If you have certain pre-existing health conditions, if you're more vulnerable to COVID, um, there was a program that would put you up in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a bit along the way, they got mental health support along and that's me I'm a mental health specialist for the county Mm -hmm. Um, and I go around to all the different hotels and check in with folks and help get them access to resources and um, you know talk them through whatever situations they may be going through for some folks we try to get them to rehab for some folks you know a lot of it is helping them to find housing that's not really my field house I'm there to kind of just support the process a little bit more than that I'm not Mm -hmm. out there like hunting down apartments, but I'm there helping them. Maybe we have a big problem with hoarding. Um, uh, So I'm working with those folks a lot to make their living situation safe and to try to work on addressing the behavior because if they're going to move into a new apartment, but they're still going to be hoarding, they're going to be in the same unsafe situation that they were just in. Um, So it's definitely, it's been a, a challenging year, but... I'm really grateful for the folks I've gotten to meet because 
there's just so many misconceptions about the homeless in Santa Cruz and what the county's doing and what they're not doing. And I know this is going to be such a hot button <laughs> subject. Yeah, way to end on a know, strong night. I'm super stoked. Um, I'm surprised the phone isn't ringing already. I know, but the, the most important thing to realize is that a lot of these folks are folks that have been in Santa Cruz their whole life. I have one man, he was a businessman his whole life here, has a master's degree, worked his whole life, ended up having a heart attack, went into the hospital. While he was in the hospital, his landlord evicted him, and then he couldn't get ahead, and now he's homeless with his dog. Worked his whole life, but now nothing. And so many stories like that, I've, I've had to hear and, you know, um, it just makes me really feel for these folks, you know, right. it, it's, it's not just people doing drugs, drinking, ruining their lives. Like the, there's a lot of people, yes, those do exist for sure, but the majority of the folks are really trying to get themselves into a better situation and they're just having a really hard time getting there. It's it's funny you bring up the the we talk about the homeless because I was actually homeless here in Santa Cruz at one point in the early '90s, and um, when people talk about the drugs and the alcohol thing, there's um, if you've ever slept on the streets, it, it kind of helps if you got a buzz to kind of get through the evening because it's not a bed, it's not a cozy bed. It's a different, it's a whole different environment and your level of safety and your level of comfort is totally different. And just basic things like going to the bathroom are, are now part of a chore, part yeah. of a, part of a thing to accomplish. So I, I don't know how much compassion there is around homelessness. I have huge compassion for it because I've seen it intimately. Yeah, you lived it. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, it wasn't... It, I got out of it. Um, it was a weird time. Yeah. No, I can only imagine. <laughs> but, yeah. the, uh, you know, I, I had my imagine. own addiction issues and stuff mm -hmm. for sure. But, yeah, the, the, it's it's nice when people have compassion around it. And I, um, uh, But one of my first things that came to mind, because having experienced homeless people in an intimate setting, or, you know, a kind of one-on-one -on -one setting is... There can be safety issues, so I'm thinking about you going. Do you go by yourself? I, so I don't mean to freak. Oh, yeah, out. I'm all no, freaking. No, I feel no. like you're like my daughter. I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> you're going into prisons and you're seeing all those people. <laughs> no. No, it it kind of. I mean, I've never been in a situation where I've felt unsafe, but there's people that are and my coworkers handle things a lot different than I handle things. We have different comforts, comfort levels. They, for example, um, would only meet with people outside for a certain amount mm -hmm. of time, you know, when COVID was really mm -hmm. rampant. Um, whereas I feel comfortable just going and meeting with people in their rooms or mm -hmm. downstairs in the lobby. Um, everything is on camera. There's security guards, there's staff members, um, but I'm confident in my skills and I know what I'm doing and it's, it's just people talking. Awesome. So I don't, I don't really get scared or anything like that. I don't, it's just, awesome. just another conversation. Cool. <laughs> Joanna, this has been so much fun, but I do think I have to kind of, we're getting to the end. Anything in particular you want to say? I'm going to, I'm going to throw out your website again. Sure. Real quick. So coastalmt.com. Yep. Uh, phone number is 513-454-7274. She's a wonderful person. Great music therapist, right? You're an excellent music therapist oh, with tons of music knowledge. So if you want your husband to be intimidated by how little he knows about blues and jazz, <laughs> give her a call. It'll <laughs> be my new goal area. <laughs> yeah, I would actually love to see that. That would be super cool. But no, she's a sweet person, and I'm not I'm not allowed to call you fun, right? You're, you're... Oh, no, not, no fun here. Okay. No, no fun at all. Because no, we are not minimizing <laughs> what she does. <laughs> but please, give her a call, and I'm going to pronounce her last name Zakaria, right? Zakaria. There it is. Zakaria. You Joanna Zakaria. Yep. Music therapist, 